good afternoon to you. Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Show, the 22nd of January 2024. I hope you had a nice weekend. I've got two very interesting guests lined up for you today. As usual, reach out to me via the app for the programme or via the website, please. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. You do not want to miss my guest today. Coming up in the second hour of the program, we are live to California. James Rogoski is a researcher, author, and natural health proponent. He's got an excellent Substack page. He is doing all he can to expose the World Health Organization's hidden agenda behind their proposed pandemic treaty. So he is obviously watching events in Davos very closely, is Ed James today. In fact, he's been up since the crack of dawn in California. James Rogoski will join the programme in our two. Do not miss him. Before that, we're going to be talking all things MM or jab, because it's in the news today. Uh, you might not be surprised. I've invited our friend, uh, the retired GP Jane Dunnigan, back to the programme, regular guest, and we're glad to have Jane, highly respected uh, homeopathic and naturopathic practitioner. She is a retired uh, GP. So that's Monday's programme. Then I've already told you, if you've got something to contribute yourself, do so via the app, the Richie Allen Show app, or via the website for the programme. Yeah, my weekend was great. Nice and chilled. Ronnie O'Sullivan, eh? Eh? It isn't a sports programme. Don't panic. It hasn't changed. But my God, mine got 48 years of age, still winning snooker tournaments. And lots of money for himself is Ronnie. Very good. Uh, I watched it last night. That was my night, you see. I'm very exciting these days. Am I not? Turning into an old man. Pipe and slippers next, maybe. Had to laugh today, as well as the MMR jab and the measles epidemic. Run for the hills, there's a measles epidemic. As well as the measles thing, which we'll come to in a moment, and we'll speak uh, to Jane about that. We'll speak with Jane. Uh, had to laugh. Storm Isha. Storm Isha. It is the ninth named storm this year. A record, said a Sky News meteorologist. A record. Then the meteorologist went on to say the record would be broken. The ninth named storm is a record. It will be broken, she said, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Well, she's a feckin' meteorologist, and meteorologists are naming the feckin' things to weaponize them against viewers of programs like Sky News and BBC News 24. It'll be a record. It'll be broken, said the meteorologist. I wish just for once, the presenter would say, but aren't you naming them, dipstick? Well, stop naming them. Stop weaponizing storms against your viewers, telling tales about how they get worse unless we change course. They will get worse unless we change course, which is an interesting way of putting things, because we often speak of storms. When we speak of storms, it's often in a nautical sense, or at least we used to anyway. Does anybody remember the shipping forecast? Are you old enough to remember it? I am. That's a nautical term, change course. It's what they're telling us. Storms are coming and humans must change course or we face total wipeout. Right? Sky News opened with at 2pm. 
Check it if you don't believe me. It opened with this story. It, it might have well have said, Jennifer O'Shea died of a stroke this morning in Salford. It said an 84-year-old man died after his car crashed into a fallen tree. Tough shit, Paddy. Tough shit, Paddy. The weather was horrendous when, when you set off. Tis your own fault. But they opened with this because they want to link climate change to his rather bizarre and rather foolish death. Don't drive when the wind is blowing 85 miles per hour outside your door. And if you are going to drive, buy a Hummer or a Humvee. Don't drive a feckin' Nissan Micra. Anyway, so you see, they're saying that climate change caused the worsening of the storms, therefore felling the tree, and poor old grandfather ploughed straight into it in his Nissan Micra, get a real car. Something which doesn't crumple like a Pepsi tin when it hits anything. I mean, you might as well have a Ford car. I was once hit by a Ford car, K.A., at 35 miles an hour. Everybody in the Ford car was injured. There wasn't a scratch on me. It's a piece of shit. All right? Don't drive when it's blowing a gale outside. You might have seen, you might have heard me discuss in the papers podcast this morning, hundreds of schools have signed up to Stonewall's Madness, Stonewall purports to be an LGBTQ plus, 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 plus charity. And a lot of schools are signing up to Stonewall. You pay Stonewall an introductory fee of £99 a year if you're a school or a business. And then Stonewall tells you how you can be more inclusive, how you can be more, how you can be more kind to the one or two LGBTQ plus, plus, plus people you have working in your company. You might have a thousand people in the company. You might have five gays lesbians, maybe a tranny, you might have a non-binary, but Stonewall will tell you how you should change the whole company, turn it upside down just to cater for these people. I don't get this. So schools have been dropping terms like boys and girls, which I don't get, but I do really. And it's a bit mad because if boys wear a dress and say they are female, which they sometimes do, well, they wouldn't mind being referred to as a girl, would they? I'd have thought they would have welcomed it. So I don't know what Stonewall's game is here but uh, I do, it's to cater to the non-binaries God, we must have had dozens of non-binary kids at St. Saviour's National School in Ballybeg in Waterford in 1980, right? Without us knowing, right? We must have had loads of non-binary kids. Uh, Of course not Dad, I'm non-binary Bosh, shut the fuck up and finish your greens or I'll leather the arse off of you That's how we speak in Ireland Bizarre turns of phrases like, I'll leather the arse off you. I'll leather, the leather belt, the arse off you. Take it literally and you won't have an arse after the belt has been administered. Wooden spoons were all the rage when I was a nipper. The added torture, you might remember this, Irish listeners, the added torture of being sent to fetch the wooden spoon before it was broken off of you. Did you ever get a hiding because the spoon or the stick broke, which is completely not your fault? I mean, the punishment for your transgression might be warranted, might not be, but then you get punished for something totally out of of your control. Like, it's not your fault the stick broke. Choose a better stick, right? Sounds brutal. Sounds prehistoric. But then again, I don't know any 49-year-old non-binaries. And I don't know any 49-year-old blokes who think that they were born in the wrong body. Not that I'm decrying that. If you think you were born in the wrong body and you want to wear a dress, a frock, a slip, a pinafore, wear what you like. I don't care. 
but stay away from the kiddies. I thought, and I mentioned this in the papers this morning, that most of the institutions who had signed up, not most, but many of them who had signed up previously to Stonewall's bullshit had in fact pulled away from Stonewall. Excuse me. It is eight minutes past the year. Do you ever ever get beaten up again because the stick broke? The stick that was being whipped across your arse and the backs of your thighs? Yeah, I've had that. (laughs) I mean, it's not my fault the stick broke. All righty. Anyway, let's talk about serious matters. The MMR jab, measles, mumps, measles and rubella. That's right, MMR. Have you been following this? This is very important because it's all the rage today. Let's say it's in every newspaper. It's been broadcast by every broadcaster. Let's go with Sky News and the Sky News website. Parents are urged to book missed MMR vaccines amid very real risk of outbreaks. Millions, says Sky News, millions of parents in England are being urged to make sure their kids are vaccinated against measles following a rapid rise in cases of the potentially deadly disease in the West Midlands. Potentially. There have been 216 confirmed cases of measles and 103 probable cases in the West Midlands since the 1st of October last year, mostly in children under 10, according to the NHS. Now, this is proper vaudeville. So you've got October, the 1st, October, November, December. So in three and a half months, they found 216 confirmed cases in a population of several million, several million people. Mostly in children under 10, who the great, 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 great majority of will be a little bit ill and a little bit sick with measles, but they'll get over it. So according to Sky, the majority, 80%, was in Birmingham and the rest in Coventry. Uh, the UK Health Security Agency has declared a national incident. Wow. Health Security Agency, national incident, warning of a, quote, very real risk of measles outbreaks across the country. And it has launched a vaccine catch-up scheme. They will send pods into schools, vaccination teams into schools to find out who isn't vaxxed with the measles and persuade them to have it. We reported on this programme last week that lots of kids who have not had a first or a second dose, so kids who've had no measles jabs, or kids who've only had the one, were sent home from schools in the West Midlands last week. I know, it's tyranny. Amazing the men and women I interviewed back in 2009, 2010, 2011, who warned of such eventualities. Your kid hasn't been vaccinated, your kid cannot participate. Take him home. So all, all over the media today. Shall we talk a little bit more about it? Well, let's listen to some of the media today uh, because the broadcast media particularly went into overdrive this morning to reinforce the message, of course, not to challenge it. God forbid they would challenge it. God forbid. Let's wheel out the doctors. One after another, they came on the BBC. They came on Sky, GB News. They came on Talk TV, LBC. They came on. On they came. Good morning, Britain. One after the other. It's terrible. It's wrong. It's a conspiracy theory. Vax your child. Get them the MMR jab. Do it quick because it's dangerous. Your child might die. There's no chance. Well, there's a very, very, very little chance of your child dying. Anyhow, that's how they carried on. Didn't challenge it. They just promoted it. LBC Radio. Listen. James O'Brien, otherwise known as Lord Ho Ho's Love Child. 
the man who won Mr. Propaganda 2020, 2021 and 2022. He had Natasha on who had a tall tale to tell. At least that's how I perceive it, but I might be wrong. It might be the, uh, it might be the gospel truth, honest engine. My mother didn't vaccinate me due to advice of me being a premature baby. Um, I got measles when I was five. Got measles when she was five, back in the 70s. Mum didn't jab because, was advised not to, because Natasha was a premature baby. Um, due to that, I'm deaf in one ear. Right. Um, I had balance issues for years. Deaf in one ear, can barely stand up. And unfortunately, my three-month-old brother also then got measles because I got measles. And he died. <laughs> oh. So my mother had... She laughed when she said that. I, I don't get that. But um, maybe I'm being a bit silly here. Um, but she kind of giggled. Because I got measles and he died. <laughs> oh. So my mother had to cope with the guilt of not having me vaccinated. But why would she be guilty for not having you vaccinated? You told us only a moment ago that she was advised not to vaccinate you because you were a premature baby. Make your mind up, Natasha. The death of my brother, the health issues that went with having had measles, um, yeah. balance issues. Yeah, says James O'Brien. He's really into this. I'd ask Natasha, what, um, how unlucky was your brother? What are the odds of a baby dying of measles in the UK through the 70s, 80s, 90s and noughties? That's what I would ask. But then I'm a journalist. I used to give Christmas presents to the local nurse in our community hospital. So I used to have so many balance-related and distance issues. So I'd run into walls because I couldn't, get perception correct. Oh. What? How does balance have anything to do with whether you can perceive that there's a wall 20 feet in front of you? I don't get this. Oh, um, and James O'Brien is really upset about this. Oh, crikey. And fall off walls. and She'd fall off walls. If you had a balance problem, if you hadn't received a measles jab because mum was told not to jab you because you were premature and that led to you becoming deaf in one ear, which led to balance problems, what the fuck are you doing walking on walls, Natasha? All sorts of stuff. But yes, yeah, so that's what I tell people. Um, one, it's debunked autism. It's, it's of proven. Yes. And of course, says James O'Brien. It's debunked. The link between MMR vaccination and autism has been bunk, says Natasha, who's deaf in one ear, can't um, stand up most of the time, but likes to walk on walls. And the consequences of your child might get a little bit poorly for a few days, slight temperature from having a vaccine, yes. compared to lifelong guilt. Well, I think, I think the official advice now is that you're, because you're at a higher risk of infection, you need the same vaccinations at two months old as babies born at full term. Two months. Imagine the logic. Imagine the stupid. Imagine we live in a world where they think it's appropriate to vaccinate a two month old child. You know, the child is still wet, like behind the ears, having just recently committed the womb. You know, immune system is nowhere near what it'll be in three, four, or five years' time. Tell you what, let's stick a jab in it with loads of chemicals in case it gets measles, which won't really do it any harm anyway. Unless you're incredibly unlucky. And was it in that yeah. window that you caught it? It or? was in that window, and my mum, being oh an XP, etc., etc., didn't do it. Right. So she she probably now would say something very different. But then it was she was advised not to, so she didn't. Yes, no, I was I was tiny. I was only two pounds one ounce in two pounds and one ounce. Nineteen seventy eight. So well, it's funny that she was only two pounds and one ounce. I didn't get a jab, so I ended up deaf and with balance issues. But I like to climb walls. Fun, at, at two pounds and one ounce, if they'd have given her the jab, it probably would have killed her. They didn't. They didn't um, 
push it, and sure. she wasn't encouraged to. And? Um, but then, obviously, the consequence was my little tiny brother, who didn't have the ability to fight it, died. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I mean, it, it, it's 40 I know, odd years still, ago. It's a horrible business. It's, did you it's mo- a horrible business at James O'Brien. So it went on and on and on and on and on like this all morning. Like we heard from people like, like Steve, for example. Steve's wife is a mad woman. She's a mad woman. Steve's wife is a conspiracy theorist. He was on James O'Brien too. So I'm in a situation where my I'm no longer with my partner, right. but he, uh, we raise our partner, uh, our daughter together. Sorry, yes. and she spends half the time, half the week with each of us. And uh, her her mum doesn't believe in vaccines or any form of modern science. They're bitch. Which is the opposite of me, and it's a really tricky situation oh, because sorry, I mate. feel like. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, mate. So mum thinks, nah, the kid doesn't need to be jabbed. She'll be all right. Steve is upset. You know, he wants the kid to have the jabs, all the jabs, and nothing but the jabs. I've, I've been threatened with if I get her vaccinated, not being able to see my child. And this includes MMR. This includes everything. Um. What, yeah, what? I'm not. What? What? James, I'm serious stuff. So let's quickly move on because I want to talk to Jane about this when Jane comes on. Doctor Jane Dunnigan, um, Chris Bird, Christy Bird is an accident and emergency consultant at Birmingham Kids Hospital. He spoke to Radio Four this morning. The presenter is Amol Rajan. Chris Bird, Doctor A and E, Birmingham. Three point four million under 16s in England are unprotected against measles, mumps. And rubella. That, Brilliant. That is a huge proportion. I think a lot of people will be shocked to learn it's so many people. Um, mm. um, what kind of impact is all this having on you and other staff? Wow. So this guy is an A&E doctor. So kids are not getting the MMR jab. What kind of impact is it having on you? The answer is none. The hospitals in the West Midlands, the hospitals in the northwest of the UK, in London, um, they're not filled, they're not even full, they're not even half full, or even one third full with kids with measles. They're not. There are no kids in hospital with measles, none. So what does he say, this guy? Um, So it it feels a bit sort of like back to COVID in the sense that we're having to kind of screen at the door. We're screening at the door? And to do exactly, to to, to protect our immunocompromised um, um, population. And And of course, the presenter is utterly useless as well. You know, as useless as teats on a bull, as we often say on this programme. He should interject there. This is interesting. Hang on a second, Christy Bird. Are you telling me that when people come to your A&D, particularly children, you're screening them for measles because you've got immunocompromised children. But where, Steve, or Chris, Christy Bird, where? If you're working in accident and emergency, that isn't inpatients. So which immunocompromised kids are you talking about? I mean, I, I, I can imagine in the children's ward and paediatrics, you might have one or two immunocompromised children. There might be some kids getting chemotherapy. That's another story entirely. But in accident and emergency, you think you need to screen people coming in in case they have measles to protect immunocompromised people? But but who? It's A&D, man. Most people coming in have broken their leg or stubbed their toe or fallen off a fucking stepladder while attempting to paint the ceiling. I don't get this. Again, the presenter is utterly useless. To, to stop the spread. So we're- Stop the spread. We're screening people at A&E to stop the spread. We're, kind of back, we're back in, in masks and FFP3s when we're seeing these children. Um, but, I, but I have to say, over the last few years, I, I think quite a, a few of us have seen this coming in terms of that 
uh, when you're taking a, a medical history, if you can imagine... You know, um, liar, 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 well, your pants is on fire and I feel... You see, liars. I don't know where they're getting these people, but I, I, would, I would imagine, I would guess, my guess would be that Dr. Christie Bird is a bullshitter. And they're just rolling them out all day long. Fear tactics, scaring people. And the implication has been there all day for anybody listening to the radio or watching the TV. The implication is there might be consequences for you. If your kid hasn't had the full schedule of MMR jabs, consequences for you and consequences for the child if you don't make sure to redress the balance, bring them in and have them jabbed. I cannot wait to hear Dr. Jane Donegan on this in a few moments. The time is coming up for 20 and one half minutes past the hour. Guten Abend. If you're listening in Deutschland, how are you? I've lots more for you, but I'm going to run out of time. Don't forget a bit later on in the programme. I cannot wait for you to meet none other than James Rogoski. He's a researcher, author, he's a journalist. Substack is where he does his work. He is exposing as best as he can the agenda to get every country in the world to join a pandemic treaty to hand over medical policy, which should be determined by elected rep I know I know I know I'm not a hypocrite you know I know this is nonsense but it should be determined by the elected government of the day advised by doctors who you can trust who have not worked for big pharmaceutical companies over the years this is the pipe dream of course it isn't true but that's how it should be but to give the World Health Organization basically sway carte blanche to determine a one-size-fits-all approach for the entire world in the event there is another pandemic, I'm not saying that we've just been through a pandemic. You know I don't believe we have. Whatever else about COVID, I don't believe it was a pandemic. Anyway, your messages interest me. Please send them in. It's uh, the app or richieallen.co.uk. Hi to Jan, who says, Richie, in the US, they vaccinate babies on birth and at one, two, four and six months old. I know, Jan, it's crazy. I interviewed a wonderful lady years ago whose child was given 13 jabs in a single day by accident. The child was supposed to get five, which is even crazy. Her name is Alyssa Nezery. It just came to me. Alyssa Nethery, what a, what a beautiful woman. And her child was destroyed by 13 jabs in a day. I don't mean they injected the baby 13 individual times. No, they didn't. But they gave a series of jabs containing two and three doses of different vaccinations. The kid was dead the following day. She lives in New York. And you wonder why people are saying in the West Midlands and elsewhere... I will take her chances with the measles. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hi to Andy Jacko. Hello, Andy. I've got balance problems, Richie, but the only wall I hit was on a motorbike, says Andy. Glad you survived it, Andy. Glad you survived it. Hi to Rob, who's in Birmingham. He says, maybe it was a thick brown envelope LBC was paying. Dan says... Hello, Dan. Dan Warner. He sends a very nice message to me. If I read it out, you'll think I have a big head. Thank you, Dan. Hello to Helen, who says, Why do they always name storms with female names? Is that because women are a nightmare? Asks Helen. Well, you'd know, Helen. Are you a nightmare? Helen, I don't know. They don't always name them. Or do they? I thought there were a couple of storms last year with male names. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be remembering it wrong. Misremembering it. 
Hello to David in Blackpool. The MMR jab is the main cause of autism in children, he says. But it was designed that way because autistic people like repetition and so make excellent worker bees. Not sure about that, but thank you. It's an interesting take on it. Uh, you can also use the app, but also use the website richieallen.co.uk I'm Richie Allen. Let me go to the website quickly. I was going to talk momentarily about Israel, but I'll leave it maybe for later on. It's uh, to do with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, talking about a two-state solution. I have some audio for you, but I might leave it till a bit later on. Hello to Jilly, who says, if you go to a cancer ward, there is a big notice outside the ward saying, if you have recently had any vaccinations, please wait two weeks before visiting. This is because the vaccine's shed, says Jilly. So when they get all the kids jabbed up, there will, of course, be more measles. I'll ask Jane, uh, Jane about this, Jilly. I don't know. I'll ask her about this concept of shedding. I don't know. Incidentally, because um, th- th- I understand that the possibility for people to shed is determined by whether the vaccine contains live virus, right? Or whether it isn't, whether it's attenuated, I think. We'll ask Jane. She has the terminology. She knows and has forgotten far more about this type of thing than I have. Uh, You are listening to The Richie Allen Show. The programme this week is sponsored by... If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin as well as a black pepper extract piperine to substantially increase its bioavailability and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse and you want relief, go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our Joint Health Supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day track delivery. Check out NutraHealth365.com right now. The time is 26 minutes past the hour of 4 o'clock, so it is. And this is the Rolling Stones. We love the Stones, don't we? At least I do. Yeah, the Rolling Stones, Miss Amanda Jones on the Richie Allen Show. The time, 28 and one half minutes past the hour of 4 o'clock this Monday, the 22nd of January. I can't wait to hear from Jane on this. As I said, blanket coverage of this by the broadcast and print media today. One doctor after another rolled out to urge people to check whether they themselves, if they're in their late 20s or 30s, have had the MMR jab and to encourage them to go and get it, but to check the status of their children and to rush them to the nearest GP to be vaccinated. The UK Health Security Agency has declared a national incident warning of a very real risk of measles outbreaks. Let's welcome back to the programme a friend of ours. She is a retired GP, very highly respected and highly thought of, and uh, these days a homeopathic and naturopathic practitioner. Let's welcome back Dr. Jane Donegan to the show. Hello, Jane. Hello, Richie. Is it too late now in January to be saying Happy New Year, or we'll just make this the final one, will we? We'll say this is it now. Well, I think that we should say Happy New Year as often as possible. Um, And actually, there's a new year coming up on Wednesday night, which is the Jewish New Year for Trees um, on the the 15th of the month. And you're supposed to eat a minimum of 15 different types of fruit. And some people try and make it 100. 
You learn something new every day. I've got to stay with this. I never heard this before. The Jewish New Year of Trees on the 15th of February, you said. Well, it's actually the 24th of February, but it's the 15th, the new moon in the month of Shavat. Ah. Um, and uh, yes, and so that's the new year. So there's four. There's the one that everybody knows about, Rosh Hashanah. And then there's one on the 1st of Nisan, which is just before Passover for kings. And there's another one on the, approximately the one that's in August um, for tithing animals. But then if you think about it, we have lots of new years. We have the school new year, academic new year. We have the economic new year. That's the 6th of April. And then calendar new year. So we have lots of new years as well. Yeah. I, I, I had no idea. I'm fascinated, Jane. Thanks for that. When, when, I, when I eventually get my ticket to go on the chase to face the beast, this will come up, Jane. The bloody Skype is dying out of me. Let me just hang up on Jane, because sometimes when you do that, it clears it. And I'm also going to get rid of it off of my phone. Dr. Jane Donegan is standing by. Sure, it wouldn't be Monday, would it, if you didn't have one or two issues with the old sound. Let me just get out of there now. Sign out. That's the one. Sign out. Sign out. Okay, let's try Jane again. And then we won't talk too much about New Year's and eating fruit. We'll get straight into the MMR story. Um, You might have thoughts on this. I mean, you might be coming under pressure. You might be. You might be somebody with children who are aged, I don't know, 11, 12, 13. You might be someone with children. Um, you might be somebody in your late 20s, early 30s. And you might be being, you know, requested. It might be a text message you receive asking you to come and have your MMR job. There might be an issue with Jane's connectivity. I do have a phone number for her, so I might have to take a tune and get her on the old-fashioned way. The Richie Allen Show. The time is 28 minutes to the top of the year. Here's some music, and we'll do it the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. There's a lot to be said for it, isn't there? Yeah, there is, yeah. Right, we'll get rid of the Mavericks there and we'll welcome Jane back to the programme. Jane, sorry about that. The connectivity was a bit dodgy there, so we'll do it the old-fashioned okay. way. You can't go that wrong works. with the old-fashioned way. Okay. Is, I hope this works. I, I don't have very good reception uh, in my house, which I suppose is good for my health, but it's a bit irritating when I'm trying to talk to people. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's no harm in that. But no, it sounds okay for the moment. Um, what's, what's your reaction to the... Look, I'm, it, it's it's a load, when I say blanket coverage, it's a loaded term, I know that, but it is blanket coverage, urging people to check their status, the status of their children. The UK Health Security Agency, wickedly named that, isn't it, Health Security, um, declaring yeah. a national incident, Jane, that um, not enough people are vaccinated against measles. What's your response to this? Well, the thing is, it's no different to anything else. I mean, nowadays we don't have cold weather. We there is cold weather coming and we have storms that have names and everything seems to be about people. And as Goebbels said, if you can keep people afraid, they're much more easy to ma- manipulate. So this is not the first uh, scare that we've had. COVID, I mean, never mind the, the scare that was COVID, irrespective of that. But because of all the GPs closing their surgery and not actually seeing anyone in person, etc., the vaccination is going down. So as, as recently as two years ago, there were and then again, a year ago, terrifying people about polio in the sewage. They were saying there's polio in the sewage. It was quite amazing. I have I know people who um, have not vaccinated their children and they're seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty years old. You know, still alive, amazingly. Um, and then suddenly they see the headline saying polio in the sewage, and then they they contact me saying, "What am I going to do?" And I say, "Well, what were you doing in the previous seven, nine, 
20 years. And the other thing is in the sewage. I mean, how many children have access to sewage? Never mind even whether they'd want to drink the water in the lavatory bowl. Yeah. So it, it's all the same. And then we had the, the Group A uh, strep, gassy, the invasive Group A strep, where they were terrifying everybody. I think it was it two years ago and saying everybody needed prophylactic antibiotics to go to school because they were all going to have this awful disease. So this is just a further one. And when they were saying about the polio, they were saying, come to your GP surgery and have a polio vaccine. And of course, it wasn't a polio vaccine. It was a hepatitis B, diphtheria, tetanus, polio, whooping cough and hip vaccine. And it's the same as the pregnant women who think they're getting a whooping cough vaccine when they're getting diphtheria, tetanus, polio and whooping cough. And you wonder how long ago did we did we kill and bury informed consent? Because nobody has any. So this whole thing about measles, about measles is that it's a normal childhood disease. More than 99% of the people in this country who used to die from measles had stopped dying, not only before there was a vaccine, but they'd stopped dying even before they were antibiotics. Why? Why is that, Jane? Because of improved social conditions. So we keep saying now, hundreds of thousands of children worldwide die of measles. Yes, they do, because they drink sewage, they have inadequate food, or they're on the edge of starvation. They live in damp, underventilated housing. They might be orphans, their parents might have HIV, they might be in a refugee camp, and, and they don't have much fresh air and sunshine. But And that is how it was in this country when people used to die at the same rate. But since the good old Victorians, with the money they got from colonialization and slavery, actually spent it on something useful like, you know, putting in drains and we used to have sewage running down the street, putting in inside loos, having fresh water that wasn't connected to the sewage. Um, and even things like uh, when the schooling became compulsory, and I'm not a great fan of schooling altogether in school, um, but you get your pint of we don't need any more because more children in this country are suffering from being overfed than underfed. But for many, that was a major source of protein was free school meals. So all these things are what made people stop dying. They say, before, we had any before, before any vaccines, Dr. Jane Dunnigan is our guest. They say, by they, I mean the so-called UK Health Security Agency, that measles can... No, they say that the statistics show that one in 100,000 children would die of measles. Is that enough to warrant a nationwide vaccination programme for children? One in 100,000. See, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that I really should be challenging everything you say and putting it up to you, but I find it difficult to do this cause, because on the one hand, I don't think one in 100,000 is an an awful lot of children. It isn't. And if I had a child and they said, have the jab, Richie, for the child, I mean, and I think, well, there's always the chance that the jab might do some harm. And then I I put that against the possibility that he or she has a one in 100,000 chance of dying. I'm likely to say no thank you to the jab. They say one in 100,000 is serious enough to do a national programme. Why are they wrong, in your opinion? Um, well, I think they're wrong because, number one, well, number one, even the World Health Organization says that the people who die of uh, measles on their website are people who suffer from malnutrition, they don't have clean water, or they have underlying medical conditions, 
or they don't seek medical care when they need to. That's in developed countries. The most important thing about measles, and the thing is, people get very wound up about measles because there's a vaccine for it. So if they don't give it, they think they're possibly allowing their child to be killed, who otherwise wouldn't. But you can die from lots and lots of um, infections for which there are no vaccines. And what it depends on is how you manage your fevers. And here for once, the uh, Health Protection Agency, or in fact NICE, the National Institute for Clinical and Healthcare Excellence, have got it right. They say, and they've said since 2013, they say, uh, don't give paracetamol and ibuprofen for the, the sole purpose of reducing a fever in an otherwise healthy child. You might think, how can they be healthy when they've got a fever? Well, if they're drinking and they're alert and they respond to normal things, they sleep well, they have wet nappies or they've got nice pale yellow pee, you know, um, that's okay. They also say don't give them to stop febrile convulsions because they don't. And what they say most importantly is they say give them for distress. Only as long as there is distress. Don't give both of them at the same time. Only consider giving the other one if the distress returns before the dose of the first one is due. Now, I've been criticised for very carefully at government guidelines. I do my own research and one of the things I think about vaccination is that we don't do a good enough job of giving people the information they need for informed consent. But here is one that I think is very good. But I get criticised by the General Medical Council and other doctors and whatever for thinking that we should follow the law on consent. However, all these doctors, that's the guideline for paracetamol. And all around the country, people are prescribing gallons and gallons. They're browbeating parents, doctors, nurses, practice nurses, people in A&E saying you must give them the paracetamol, you must give them the ibuprofen, they're going to get febrile convulsions, you must. I've even had people in A&E departments who've been threatled, threatened with calling in the social workers because they say they don't want their child to have the paracetamol because they're not in distress. Jane, can you explain and, that? My apologies for the interruption. Can you explain why the clinical guidance is not to give the paracetamol and yet the doctors do? Why? Why if the, if the guidance well, is contrary? Well, when you look on the 300 document as opposed to the 20 page document they actually say because they couldn't find any benefit and certainly i don't know where they were looking because if you come to my lecture on fever is your friend i send out a, a, a 20 page document with all the references showing how bad it is to reduce fever because it's an ancient adaptive response for which good reasons to reduce and overall in developed and developing countries it increases morbidity which is illness and mortality which is death and that's not me saying that. That's a professor can of paediatrics. Can I interrupt in again? Texas. Can I interrupt again? Yes. I've read yes. that many years ago, when somebody yes. had a when somebody had a pretty nasty fever, if they had pneumonia or something, they yes. would they would pack them in ice, and that was a good idea. Yes. That's what they used to do. Is that a good or a bad idea? Well, that's a bad idea. See, the thing is, what we have to remember is the body's not stupid. Nobody dies of the normal course of an infectious disease. They die of complications. The complications are all invasive. You're talking about your one in 100,000 chance of death. That's a complication. They're all invasive. The normal course is you have a fever because it speeds up all the reactions in the body. It makes your liver detoxify faster. It makes your kidneys filter faster. You go off your food because you don't need to process stuff when you're trying to uh, clear yourself out. You do need lots and lots of fluids. You might have diarrhea and vomiting. And one of the ways it comes out is through a rash in the skin and you will find if you nurse your child appropriately meaning you support the body to do that they will 
go up a developmental step. So the baby will produce the tooth, the toddler will start walking straight, the person who's gone to school will get through the uh, you know, separation from mum or dad type of thing. They will always go up a developmental step. In fact, that's why they're designed. And they actually, when you have a properly managed uh, fever of any sort, you could call it measles, mumps, rubella, Coxsackie, slap cheek syndrome, whatever, um, in their older life, because their immune system has been trained properly, what is itself and what isn't itself, they have a lower incidences of things like asthma, eczema. Um, and there was a big, big study in Japan, over 100,000 people, that showed that when people had had childhood illnesses like measles, that it uh, remarkably reduced their incidence of uh, coronary heart disease. So how about that? That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I won't. I, I won't bore you and everybody else by talking about how when we were younger, we we got measles and we got chickenpox out of the way. And I know there have been many studies, and I know some of our listeners they hate the word study because it's an establishment word. But some proper well, they hate the word. They hate the word expert, and I must admit, I hate the word expert too. Now, to me, anybody who says somebody's an expert, I think charlatan. Charlatan, because you're still learning all the time. Yeah, but I know a number of academic studies took place over the years where our generation were were looked at in terms of their overall health. They took sections of various populations and they put their health records against children who've had all the vaccine schedules, which we didn't have. These were genuine studies. I know Harvard did one. And we're better off. We, we are better off, our generation. We don't tend to come down with as many illnesses because... I suppose you've taught me, you've educated me over the years that the body has learned to recognise invaders and fight them off. So you're telling me, I will inevitably, Jane, because I do get a rotten chest infection over the winter. I haven't had it yet, but I, gen- I generally do get one. And I get a terrible temperature. It can go up to um, high 90s or, or 100. And tr- previously, before meeting you, I suppose I would have I would have dosed up on you know, the, 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 the paracetamol and those medicines, those uni flus and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, the last time I was particularly ill, last winter, I didn't do any of that. And I'm not just saying this because you're here. Um, my recovery was much quicker, much quicker. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the other thing is, we're talking about people being scared for their children. But, you know, children get the fevers the best. Most of their large fevers they get until they're about six years old. When you're a parent, it seems like it's forever. But after that, you don't have that many. And those fevers are showing how very vital um, that child is, how good their energy is, and how, please God, they're going to live till they're 120 in good health. And as we get older and we don't do it, so you should be patting yourself on the back that you get high fevers, we don't do it so much. So we don't have this quick way of emptying out our rubbish. And so when it doesn't get removed, it starts leading to change, which is things like you know heart disease, cancer, and whatever. So... Even if you had a vaccine that was completely safe, no adverse reactions, everything was fantastic. Why would I want to have a flu vaccine if I'm lucky enough in my decrepitude, um, being over the age of six, a nice high fever? No, I say, thank God I've got a nice high fever. I'll go to bed, drink lots of fluids. I'll be really happy about all the aches, bones and muscles because that's all the rubbish coming out. Because that means I'm likely to get chronic disease. That's the body basically expunging all of the toxic crap, if we can put it like that. Jane, yeah. we, we, I want to ask you briefly about Dr. Andy Wakefield in a moment because 
he's obviously been mentioned a lot today. And thanks to you, yeah. by the way, uh, special thanks to you, because somebody who worked very closely with um, Andy, who's been on this programme himself, Andy, a number of times over the years, but somebody who worked yeah. very closely for him and on his case, Clifford will be on the programme tomorrow to talk in detail about the Fabulous. yeah about about that case because it's so fascinating. So I, I want to ask you your own kind of personal view on that in a minute. Doctor Jane Dunigan is our guest, but Dave Young is listening with great interest. Jane, forgive me because I didn't I didn't ask your permission to throw listeners' questions at you, but this is an interesting one. He says, Richie, love Jane. Can you ask Jane her thoughts? My kids have not had the flu jab, and their friends who didn't have the flu jab came down with a rotten flu before Christmas. But none of their jabbed friends seemed to be affected. This is bothering me, says Dave, because I don't trust and I haven't had the flu jab, says Dave. So the jabbed kids got un- became unwell before Christmas. Sorry, the unjabbed kids became unwell before Christmas. The kids who had no jab. And it seemed that some of their jabbed friends have stalled through the period when everybody else appeared to be smothering. I know it's a bit of a... A curveball from Dave. Okay. Have you any thoughts, Jane? Yeah, well, the thing is, you don't have, I have a, I did do this lecture on fever is your friend. And the aim is that um, instead of when your child gets a fever, you sit there with white knuckles thinking, how long can I withdra- with, with, restrain myself before I have to crack a bottle of paracetamol, that you actually look forward to the next time your child has a fever. It's an advantage when your child needs to do a clean out not to get the fever. So you'll find that not every unflu vaccinated child will get a flu-like illness but the ones that do need to have it and the ones that haven't had it that is a problem that they haven't had it when they need it peter has been on to say in fact he came on to talk about this on a previous program peter says richie regarding the conversation i had with you regarding my granddaughter's visit to the gp regarding vaccines peter went along with his daughter and his granddaughter They were due to be jabbed. His daughter wanted the kids to have the jab and Peter being the gentleman that he is, he wasn't happy. But look, mum has to have the final say. But the kids didn't, the kids didn't have the jab, Jane, because Peter asked the GP very politely and very gentlemanly about the inserts regarding the vaccines, the various ingredients and any information about them. And the GP hadn't a clue, uh, uh, Jane, hadn't a clue. So they all walked out. I find it amazing that people don't read the package inserts. Now, what I'd like to say, in, because you said to me there's a lot of young people, young parents listening. Yeah. Uh, I just want to tell you what this magic thing is, in a nutshell, that you do when your child gets ill. You open the window, you give them loads of fluids. That's what's really important. You don't feed them unless they're starving, okay? Don't, oh, I must get, get something into them. And you let them lie down and rest. And the type of fluid you want to give are things like uh, water or half-diluted apple juice, and the best thing is honey, lemon, and ginger, because honey and lemon everyone knows about. Ginger takes down inflammation and discomfort, and it actually sometimes reduces the fever, at which I think I'm a bit mad because I've been saying how great the fever is. But it doesn't push it down like paracetamol does artificially. It doesn't bung up the liver now having to uh, detoxify the paracetamol. It doesn't use up glutathione, which is what you need for um, uh, preventing some of your breakdown products causing problems. Uh, I don't think I think ibuprofen is better because I don't. I wouldn't have it in the house. I'd give it to a child. Um, but, so, but the ginger can make you sweat. It can make you sort of like empty out your rubbish in a different way, often through your skin. So it's not pushing the fever down. It's just 
making it not necessary. Uh, and on my website, if you put my name, Jane, with a Y, Donegan, into your search engine, I've got a I've got a book on how you manage fevers, and I've got a specific book called Mumps, Measles, Rubella, and Other Spotty Childhood Rashes, uh, which you can, which has got just general measures and also some homeopathic things you can use. And just, I'm always amazed, in one particular paper looking at the um, how much vitamin A you when you've got measles, there was, uh, they referred to a paper from 1932 called by someone called Ellison, who found that giving uh, doses of cod liver oil in the 1930s reduced the deaths from measles by 68%. You know, and that's good old vitamin D for you. That's how important it is. So, so the stuff is not, you don't have to go to medical school for five years and do all these postgraduate qualifications to learn how to manage somebody with fever. In fact, often doing that just um, muddies the issue because you just learn to give a, a pill for every ill. And I, I know for myself... I used to go to those same parties. My parents sent me to mumps, measles, chicken pox, rubella parties in the holidays so I wouldn't miss school, which I think is a form of child abuse because the whole point of being ill is so that you miss school. But I came out of, I came out of medical school thinking I should give my children an MMR vaccine. Now, how mad is that? That's right. And we talked about that the very first time we met uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Dr. Jane Donegan's website, by the way, is Jane with a Y, J-A-Y-N-E, um, hyphen or dash dunnigan.co.uk. Jane hyphen dunnigan.co.uk. The website will, of course, be on the podcast notes after uh, the live radio show. Lots of messages here. Back in 1998. Oh, okay. Sorry, Jane, go okay, ahead. Can I, just, can I just say one particular thing? Of course. On my website, there is a whole page on measles which not only tells you about measles, the history, vitamin A, etc., and how you manage it, it tells you how you manage it as well. So there's a whole, completely free, there's a whole page on measles um, that I wrote in 2011. I think I updated it in, with another measles scare in 2013 and another one in 2015. And here's another one in 2024. It's just the same old broken record. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, not at all. And it's important. You, you interrupt all, all you like. I don't mind, Jane. Thank you. Um, very good friend of mine is listening with great interest. She, sa- she says, feed a cold, starve a fever. Mum used to say we had cod liver oil too, growing up a spoon of it a day, if I recall. All right, says my, my pal Jean Ann. Now, Back in 1998, of course, I was only cutting my teeth, Jane, as a no. as a nighttime DJ at my local radio oh, station. I thought you meant you were really cutting your oh, teeth. Will you give over, will you? Give over. You old charmer. I'm 49. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 49. I just turned 49. Yeah, I'm an old man now. Pipe and slippers. But come here and I tell you, So 19, I, I was only beginning in radio, so I wouldn't have been covering the story. But Dr. Andy Wakefield, Wakefield, 1998, so he and 12 colleagues produced a groundbreaking study where they studied children who had had the MMR jab and they, they, they did it as, you know, academics do. They did it properly. They, they had their notes. They had everything. And the Lancet newspaper, the medical journal reported their results and said yep, all looks good to us, there is an issue here. But then the BMJ uh, intervened and uh, came down on him and then the media right across the UK and the world came down on Dr Andy Wakefield and tried to destroy his life and his career. Thankfully they didn't destroy his life. Well, Pretty you know, good job of destroying his career. They ruined his career, didn't they? And, and he's a lovely man. I've had him on so many times over the years. But they, yeah. thankfully, they did not destroy his life. No, they made him stronger. He's a strong man. They're after him again 
today and it's a, yeah. you know periodically they come out with MMR issues going after him again of course none of them have the courage to invite him on to give his side of it how do you feel about that of course because you have I hate to use bloody terminology like this but you have a dog in this fight Jane they've come after you over the years as well unsuccessfully I believe I think you're doing very well, well. you've done well now I, now I did get I did get erased the last time but not for anything I said on vaccination no and, no and, uh, and not for being dishonest when I described my previous making me the only doctor in the country whose opinion on vaccination had been tested in a three-week UK statutory trial and found to be independent, objective and unbiased beyond reasonable doubt. That's so right. And that's... So, so they didn't manage to disprove that. What they found, what they, the reason that they erased my name is because they said I had encouraged parents to deliberately mislead health professionals about their children's vaccination status. And um, I will say, I didn't, I didn't, uh, people say, what do you do when you go to A&E? And they say, is your child vaccinated? And what has happened to some people who said no? I mean, okay, so you can, you can get some broad shoulders and, and withstand people saying, your child, you know, you're a negligent parent, you know, is your daughter stupid, you know, if, when the granny brings them in. But when they actually do things like just because you're not vaccinated, admit you to hospital, put up a drip with antibiotics for eight hours, not because of the clinical situation, because they hardly examine and take a history now anyway, which is, I mean, that's what you should do if the person's, you know, really ill, just entirely because they're not vaccinated. And then all the reports come back negative after 48 hours and the child's traumatised. They've, they've had all those unnecessary antibiotics. The parents are traumatised. So there are people who are absolutely terrified of taking their children to hospital. And, you know, you pay your taxes. And however you think about health, you don't necessarily have that much experience, especially if you're a first-time parent. And you need to be able to go to someone who will actually take you on face value and not start sort of, you know, Interrogating you. Yeah, yeah, and, and by the way... So, yeah, so they say up to date. And then, and, then they, and then they take them on spec instead of, you know, making prejudgments decide what their medical treatment should be. So that's why I'm not on the register anymore. And thank goodness, I'm so pleased. It's been a liberation. And I think the same for Andrew Wakefield. But I saw in... Uh, because one of the things that preserves my health is I don't read the newspapers and I don't watch the news. And uh, so you sent me some links. And one of them was the Wakefield generation. You know, that's, those are the ones who are all getting measles now. The 20-somethings, yeah. And then they're saying they're mostly under the age of 10. Well, that means that they'd have been born in 2014. Yeah. And later. Well, Wakefield wrote his paper in 1998. So really, they just picked slogans and they just chucked them around. That's why I said unsuccessfully going after you, by the way, because you were happy to stop and you couldn't in good conscience continue, um, you no. know, in a program that was asking you to give information to patients that you didn't want to give them um, based on the Hippocratic Oath and, 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 and your own beliefs. So that, yeah. that's why I said that. But um, yeah, yeah. I suppose because we've only got about two and a half minutes left today and Clifford is going to come on tomorrow, a lawyer who worked on the Andrew Wakefield defence. And we'll get into this in more detail with him. But um, why do you think it is? I mean, I I know nothing about, I don't have the, the medical qualifications as you do. I don't have the skills. But for me, when you see somebody being 
chased as much as he's being chased. You know, as a journalist with a natural kind of innate curiosity, I begin to wonder yeah. what's really going on when they keep going after this man over and over again. I begin to think maybe there was something to um, his research and to his findings. But to bring him up again, he's doing well in America, thank God, uh, for that. What's yeah. the end game here? Why are they carrying on with this? Why don't they just allow the parents, Jane, who think, you know what, I'll take our chances with the measles. The kid might get it, the kid might not get it, and she'll be okay. If In two minutes, if you can give us your thoughts as to why are they so vehemently pursuing this? Why? Any ideas? I think you have, I think you have to say follow the money. You know, all of education now, medical education, is paid for by the companies who make the drugs. They do the tests, they control the agencies, the Healthcare Regulatory Authority, MHRA. They're paid for by drug companies. You know, and you just... What happened in COVID was you saw what's been happening for the last 50 years in greater detail. And that's yeah. what it is. The medical, the medical fraternity has sold out. And that's what they said to me. In 2019, they made it clear to me that if I wanted to, if, uh, if there was a clash between the patient's best interest and NHS policy, if I wanted to work in the NHS, I needed to follow NHS policy. And I and then I took myself off the off off the NHS list, but I couldn't. The GNC wouldn't let me go because they wanted to get their pound of flesh, but they didn't. Um, but I'm gone now, and I'm free from that. But that's why. Uh, and if, for example, with COVID, if the doctors had remembered the immunology they learned as medical students, they, there would have been no COVID enforcement. They'd have just said this is totally ridiculous. But they didn't, and I don't think that makes them worth having the name of doctor. So we we scream about Witty and Valance and Van Tam and we scream about Johnson and Sunak and, and that idiot Matt Hancock. But but the reality yeah. is our doctors is doc- left us down badly, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So the doctors and the police let everybody down. Folks, you can find Jane online, Jane Dunnigan dot co.uk, jane-dunnigan.co.uk and thanks for connecting us to Clifford, by the way. I'm really looking forward to getting uh, into Clifford, this tomorrow. Yeah, Clifford's fabulous. He was the lawyer in my case in 2007 that, that is the reason I won and that it's he's the one that let me use in the latest one because they knew that if I had him, I'd win. And they refused to allow him because he yeah. retired, hadn't he? Jesus. Jane, yeah. listen, I don't know how I say this. Happy... New new uh, tree year on the Happy New Year for, happy new year for trees. Yeah, for trees. Nice and I'll pronounce this wrong. <laughs> and of course, Rosh Hashanah, you said, but I used to say Rosh Hashanah is coming up soon as well. So um, that's yeah, another important well, that's holiday. September. September, that will be. Oh, that that's, anyway, that's miles out. God yeah. bless. God bless, Jane. Well. And you too. And, and thanks for your time. That's Thank my you. pleasure. It's an absolute honour every time. Thank you, Jane. Uh, the brilliant Dr. Jane Dunnigan live on Monday's Richie Allen radio show. show. Jane is spelled with a Y, J-A-Y-N-E dot, um, sorry, Jane uh, hyphen Dunnigan dot co dot UK. I got there in the end. It's coming up for two minutes past the hour of five o'clock. I nearly unmiked myself. What's going on? It's a Monday. Stop it, Richie. Uh, the programme this week is sponsored by NutraHealth 365 Joint Support. If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. 
But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine, to substantially increase its bioavailability and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse and you want relief, go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our Joint Health Supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day tract delivery. Not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. I'm having one of those. Listen, thanks again to Jane. Thank you for your comments. Coming up now in a couple of minutes' time, um, I'm looking forward to meeting our next guest, James Rogoski. Don't miss him. Stay with me. Uh, Jimmy Cliff and his version of Wild World. It's coming. Uh, well, it's gone six. Uh, well, six minutes past the hour of five o'clock. Richie Allen with you this Monday, the 22nd of January 2024. And I'm uh, excited about speaking with my next guest. This is as important as it gets, right? He's a researcher and author and a proponent of natural health. He is on. He's all over the World Health Organization's planned pandemic treaty, the proposal to hand power control to the World Health Organization over health regulations for the entire planet. Basically, the World Health Organization would be given uh, the right to, it would become the arbiter of how in the future countries fight off pandemics or anything else really uh, to do with health. It is something which gets no coverage or very little coverage by the mainstream media, certainly in this country, in the UK. But it is huge. It is massive. And James is all over it. Um, I will put links to his Substack account on the podcast notes after the live radio show. But I'm really absolutely thrilled he's agreed to come on the programme today, live from California. Let's welcome James Rogoski to the programme. James, thanks for taking the time out. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. I, I hope you can hear me fine. Um, I, I apologize in advance. My my phone is really blowing up this morning. And so if uh, it interrupts uh, this call, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I'm trying to decline a bunch of phone calls. People want to know what's going on. Everybody is after you, James. But the early bird catches the worm, you see. <laughs> I, was, I was lucky I got you early. Everybody wants to speak to you today. That's great news. And you sound fantastic. It sounds like you're in uh, the room. Before we talk about the latest article on your Substack, which is really, really prescient, really important, tell us, James, for people who've never heard before, what the hell is the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty? What is it and why are you and why should everybody else be concerned about it? Well, you know, that's a deeper and more troubling question than people might imagine, because it, it, at the moment, it's actually really impossible to answer that question. Um, the negotiations for this new international agreement um, have been going on for two years now. There has been version after version after version after version. The latest public version that they uh, put out was at the end of October, but at their December meeting, many of the nations are very, very unhappy with the way these negotiations are being conducted. 
And they told the intergovernmental negotiating body to go back to the drawing board and craft a new version. So we know what's in the previous versions. We can certainly talk about that, but that's troublesome because there's a new one on the horizon. They're going to be having marathon meetings at the end of uh, February and also in March uh, in an attempt to, you know, finish negotiating this quote unquote pandemic treaty. Um, so at the moment, it's in a state of flux and it's in a state of flux because quite frankly, it's good news. They're having great difficulty reaching agreement um, on the details. Now, you might think if you're dealing with the um, World Health Organization that um, this is about health, but you would be wrong. This is really a trade dispute. I've often put it out as it's really a venture capital prospectus. This is about money and gaining access, according to you know, their terminology. Uh, they want equitable access, the, the, the various nations around the world, want equitable access to pandemic-related products. Now, you, you have to erase everything you think you know about the benefits and or dangers of, quote-unquote, pandemic-related products. And so if you go back more than two years to December 1st, 2021, there was a special session of the World Health Assembly, and the nations um, crafted a declaration that they wanted the WHO to negotiate a new agreement. Now, there's actually two separate paths that it's going down. One is a new agreement, and the other path is amendments to an existing agreement called the International Health Regulations, which really aren't about health either. And the direction they gave was essentially because of something that, or thinking people, will be confusing because it's absolutely insane. But the nations around the world who were not able to get contracts in 2021 for all of the many different jabs and drugs that were put on the market were upset that they were not being treated fairly from a trade perspective. Wow, James. It's got nothing to do, nothing to do with health. They... You know, they watched, you know, Israel and European Union and UK and Canada and Australia, New Zealand, United States, you know, get contracts for maybe 10 jabs per person. And they were not able to get any. Now, in retrospect, that was an unmitigated blessing. They're, they they're lucky. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they it's should, the best they thing that ever happened. Lucky stars. Yeah. But, but the people who are involved in these negotiations look at it differently. The way, um, if you were uh, from South Africa or Botswana, if you recall when they um, identified what has come to be known as Omicron, and they shared the genetic or genomic information with the world, as they're obligated to do, as all nations are obligated to do under the international health regulations, um, they were not greeted with praise. They were greeted with travel restrictions, which hurt their economy. And then they watched Pfizer and Moderna take that information and turn it into the boosters and make billions of dollars more. 
And so what is being negotiated is not a discussion of whether or not those products are beneficial or harmful or needed or, or whatever. They're not talking to doctors or nurses or any kind of health professionals or people who've done research into the problems that these products have. No, 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 no. That's, that's not even remotely open for consideration. They're arguing over intellectual property, um, manufacturing know-how, and investment capital because they want to be able to manufacture more of these products in their home nation so that they can control it and profit from it. And so the insanity of what's going on here is beyond what most people would even remotely consider to be the way uh, to handle the next pandemic, which they keep trying to threaten with you know, all kinds of scary possibilities. Uh, if disease, anything, X, disease X being one. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we can we stop for a second? And we've got as much time this hour as you need, so we can go to the top of the hour. I'm obviously cognizant of the fact that you're a busy man and others mm -hmm. want you, but we can stay on for 35 or so minutes. Let's park it there. This is great work. I've been reading these articles today on your Substack. Folks, you need to get on to James Rogowski com, right? James is a journalist. He's doing great work on the pandemic treaty. So let's take this step by step, everything you've said. So I'm I'm Richie Allen then, I'm nobody, but I'm I'm a broadcaster. And I look at the pandemic treaty and I look about what I've read online and I'm scared, but I'm scared for the wrong reason, it seems. I'm I'm nervous because I want my government to do whatever that's look I'm, I'm not naive I know it doesn't work like this I know we're living in tyrannical times but imagining that things were you know were hunky-dory imagining that things were were normal I don't want a supra national body like the World Health Organization telling my government that they must treat a pandemic or any other outbreak in in the way that they are told to do so by the World Health Organization. I want that power to reside with my government. So that's what I was concerned about. So when I hear pandemic treaties, I think, oh my God, every country in the world is going to give total power to the World Health Organization to determine, like for example, lockdowns, James. This is my concern that the World Health Organization could impose lockdowns around the world. But from what you're telling me and what you're writing about, um, I'm on the wrong track, right? This is not just about that. It's it's much worse. It's worse. And while at the same time, I published good news this morning. It's why we're talking today. Because they're having great difficulties, meaning the negotiators um, are having great difficulties reaching an agreement. There's a multitude of details that, you know, hopefully we'll get into as many of them as possible. But, you know, the latest news is they had a hour-long meeting this morning, and they very much said that, you know, they're having difficulty reaching agreement. Uh, they were bemoaning. Uh, they, they call it misinformation, but I feel that a lot of people out there in the world are publishing the missing information. They just call it misinformation to confuse you. There's so much information that they are not revealing um, that, you know, people who are talking about this, they're doing everything they can, the WHO, to keep all of this very, very secret. 
And so um, the meeting that they had today was uh, sort of at the lunch break of their week long executive board meeting. The executive board is made up of 34 nations of the WHO out of the 194 nations that are members. So this executive board meeting is a very small subset. And what should be happening right now appears like it's not going to be happening. The working group that are um, negotiating the proposed amendments to the existing international health regulations are obligated under Article 55 of that document to submit whatever changes they might want to make four months in advance of the May meeting. They meet once a year, the World Health Assembly, the end of May, and May 27th is the date that those meetings begin. So according to Article 55, they're obligated to submit the proposed amendments four months in advance, which would be January 27th. And, and so what we're dealing with here is an organization that is intent on breaking their own rules and refusing to give us four months to consider these massive amounts of changes that they want to make to the international health regulations. Instead, what they plan to do is continue negotiating right up to the last minute in May without giving us the opportunity to see whatever version they may have submitted. And I hope you're able to hear me. Okay. Loud, so, loud and clear. Yeah, I'm making notes okay, here. Amazing. So I, I want to make one thing absolutely clear. Okay. There are two separate documents being negotiated. One of them is commonly referred to as the pandemic treaty. That's really not the right name for it. Hopefully we'll get into why people should refer to that as a framework convention, which I think is an absolute abomination. That would be a new document, much like the framework convention for climate change that all of the nations signed on to back in 1992 with the United Nations, where they just reach an agreement to set up a new bureaucracy that would then meet every year forever going forward and whatever detailed protocols they would agree upon, a bunch of unknown, unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats, that would fit into the framework and everyone who signed on as a party, every nation, would be obligated because they signed on to essentially an empty framework. Yes, and then so, you, you you are stuck with everything that happens forevermore thereafter. And you don't exactly. have any representation to interject or intervene on any point. You can't do that. You've given away your sovereignty at the front door, uh, James, and that's it. It's too late now. I understand it. Well, it's, it's crazy. I'll, I'll correct that. I'll correct that just a little tiny bit because the parties, the conference of the parties would include the nations who have chosen to participate as a member of the conference of parties. All of the parties who sign on to the agreement go to a conference once a year. That's the conference of the parties. And, and so here's where everybody, I think, misses the point, which really uh, I'll start at it this way. Over the last four or five years, your um, politicians, your office holders, 
um, whether they were elected or you know civil servants who have lifetime positions and think they have authority, they did not need any amendments to the international health regulations or a new pandemic agreement to abuse and violate your rights and freedoms. That's right. The problem is that this will just give more of a facade. We've lost James. We've lost James. James Rogoski is our guest. Um, his connection was a little bit loose there. He's getting a lot of telephone calls. It could be a phone call coming in, actually. We'll try him again. Right, we might have James back on the line. James, we lost you momentarily there. Apologies for that, but you're back in the room, I believe. Welcome back. Well, what is the last thing you heard? I'll try to pick it up from where, where I dropped off. You talked about civil servants, unelected civil servants, running things in countries. And you said, I thought very eloquently, it must be said, that they didn't need any pandemic treaties to inflict misery and tyranny on the nation state populations. You were quite right to say that. And then you got cut off. You were about to move on then to talk about what they're planning, I suppose, at the World Health Organization. Why is that relevant then? Uh, it, it almost sounds like, well, on, on the one hand, why worry about handing power of attorney, if you want to put it like that, to the World Health Organization? Because even if they didn't, they've inflicted tyranny on people over the last three years in any case, right? The, the issue is partly because there are two documents and they have different information in the two negotiations that are going on. And so we've most recently been talking about what they call the pandemic treaty, but it's a framework convention, which we mentioned. But what that really is, is trying to settle a trade dispute. The poor nations want to be able to manufacture their own drugs and jams. And what they have proposed is setting up what's called a pathogen access and benefit sharing system. Now, what they want to have all nations do is go searching through the entire world for pathogens with pandemic potential, whether it's you know from a swab of someone's nose or other orifice, if it's from going to your veterinarian for your dog or your cat or your bird or other pet, and, and maybe they have a stool sample. If you're a, on a farm and they have a chicken coop or a pigsty or a horse enclosure, uh, your septic system, your sewage treatment, you know, wastewater, uh, hospitals that have some of the best antimicrobial resistant strains of the various bacteria because of overuse of antibiotics. So a global uh, bug hunt, James. They want everybody to go on a global bug hunt to find bugs which might be a big threat in the future. First time I've heard that phrase, I'm going to write it down. That's a very succinct, exactly, a global bug hunt, okay? Yeah. And that, there's a reason beyond the obvious for that is if, if you go back to what happened in South Africa when they found Omicron and Moderna and Pfizer turned that genetic information into the jab, this is potentially worth billions of dollars. And so the pathogen access and benefit sharing system would have nations, you know, go out into the local bat cave 
or pangolin enclosure or you know any other wild animal any place they can find a pathogen that's not necessarily causing a outbreak disease death you know epidemic or pandemic but has the potential to do so send that to this new laboratory network that they want to spend tens of billions of dollars to manifest identify the genetic sequence then share that and and the path pathogen as well with the who central hub so that pharmaceutical companies could manufacture drugs or jabs and then their current latest version of the document the companies would have to give 20 percent of whatever they manufacture to the WHO to be distributed as they see fit. That's the benefit part of the pathogen access and benefit sharing system. Benefits meaning money. Massive this amounts of money. This is all about money. Massive amounts about- of money. And can I, sorry, sorry for interjecting, James. Do I, right can I, do I understand that? So the global bug hunt, so bugs are identified. Uh, pathogens that might be might become a problem is there any danger that when these bugs are identified and sent to world health organization laboratories that gain of function research might be carried out on these pathogens which at the moment are not really serious but have the potential to become serious could it be that they try to make them more serious as part of their research and development plans to make vaccines and if they do, how dangerous is that? If they take relatively harmless bugs and they wonder about whether or not they'll become deadly in the future. Well, let's find out. Let's try and make them deadly in order to create vaccines. Well, that's a serious situation if that happens, right? Well, that con- oh, absolutely. That, that concept is often referred to as dual-use research of concern. And it really is biological warfare ideas, the thought is, oh, one of our enemies is going to do that. So we have to do it first and try to make the vaccine. And, and so, you know, the whole concept behind biological warfare is to find a horrible pathogen, make it worse if you can, attempt to make a vaccine or treatment or, you know, some sort of, um, uh, way of protecting your troops in warfare uh, and then release the pathogen uh, onto your enemy. Well, as it appears, you know, we may very well be the enemy. We're the enemy. Yeah. And so they they will absolutely categorically deny any of this. So scale it back a little further and say, well, wait a minute. Um, if there's a pathogen hanging out in a bat cave somewhere, and you're going to bring it into the lab and, you know, identify it. And even if they don't do gain of function, but it is in a Petri dish where it can be cultured and go through replication cycles more rapidly than it ever would in nature, um, it could naturally, if you want to call that natural, naturally mutate into a much more dangerous pathogen. They do all of these studies to see how it affects humanized animals, you know, they alter the genetic um, receptor sites in various animals to be, uh, have, have receptors that humans have. If you subscribe to the idea 
that things either leak out of, escape from, or are, you know, released from biological laboratories, it just doesn't make any sense to be going out into nature, bringing, you know, all kinds of pathogens into hundreds of labs around the world. If anything, you know, many people believe that's how this problem started. They're not actually doing something to help treat people or um, actually deal with any real outbreak. They're creating the scenario that would cause the problem that they say they're trying to prevent. And you know, James, what, what's really startling to me about this is, we, we go back to where you came in, that these things are happening um, and they're being explained in, in, in benevolent terms. You know, that countries which suffered because of a lack of access to vaccines in 2021, I agree with you, those were lucky countries and the people of those countries were lucky. But those countries need to have access to pandemic products. So it sounds nice and neat and it sounds credible, but in reality it isn't, it's horrible. But the, the I suppose the headline might make sense to a lot of people around the world because when they read that, Oh yeah, it's a good idea if countries which are particularly poor in sub-Saharan Africa or other parts of the world, they should have access to pandemic products too. We should make that happen. Yes, a trade agreement is not a bad idea, but you've done an enormous amount of digging here and it's really not about that. It is about that, but it's really about something far more sinister. And can I read you a couple of um, messages from our listeners? I mentioned today it would be viral, this conversation. And it is. We've had dozens of messages come in already. David reckons that you're absolutely right, but it isn't just about health. It'll be anything long-term the World Health Organization deems to be a threat to humanity, including even climate change. Has that been... Has, is, 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 do you understand that to be correct, James? Will climate change be a big deal in the future too, w w with, with respect to this agreement, this global agreement? They would, they would like it to be. Um, some of the language in what most people refer to as the pandemic treaty raises the idea of one health. And the definition of one health essentially says something that is true. I mean, in, in reality, absolutely everything in life has an impact on your health. If you truly look at, you know, what makes a person healthy, it's not just, you know, antibiotics or drugs or jabs or, you know, not even food or nutrition. It's emotions and ideas and exposure and the environment and, you know, stress and everything else under the sun. But they want to be able to control every aspect of people's lives. That's where the one health idea is really, really dangerous. And, and so when you look at what's really going on, they're trying to take away any decision-making from the individual person because they believe they know better. They want to tell people how to live, what they can and cannot have, what they can and cannot do. But the problem with that is the money goes to salaries for the people who put themselves in the positions to tell you and I what to do. 
at just the WHO alone in 2022, they had a budget of $3.8 billion that they spent. $1.1 billion, or 30% of that, went to their 8,851 employees who earned an average of $120,000 a year. They're in the middle. They're having their executive board meeting this week. One of the things they're going to be talking about is their fundraising program. 86, I'm sorry, 84% of their budget in 2022 was donated money. So they're working on their next four-year plan, 2025, 26, 27, and 28. And they've allocated, or they're discussing this week, the allocation of between three and five and a half million dollars in an attempt to have fundraisers in the last quarter of 2024 so that they can raise $7 billion. They're going to have events where they're going to be whining and dining national leaders and um, foundations and, and, and such um, because they need money. You know, they only get a small percentage in 2022, about 16% came from assessed payments or dues that the nations put forth. Everything else came from donations and those donations come with strings attached. So they're not actually looking out for the health of their, you know, the world. They're obeying and, you know, following the wealth of their donors. And is it, is it true? I mean, I think it is true, but your research will, will, um, will undoubtedly confirm it. The, is, is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation a larger donor to the World Health Organization than any nation state? Do I get that? Is that right? Well, they're not larger. We've lost James again. It's almost like I'm joking. Tongue is in cheek when I say this. It's almost like somebody doesn't want us to talk to him. Uh, James Roguski is in California. His surname is Polish, he told me today. His um, grandparents came to the, U uh, to the US, I believe, from Poland uh, many years ago. Uh, he's a writer, researcher, academic. He's writing about the World Health Organization pandemic treaty. And he's in demand today because he does quite a bit of commercial media in the United States. His Substack account is jamesroguski.substack.com. Uh, do check him out there. We'll try and get him back. Um, and while we do that, are you back? Nope. Yeah, you're back. Look at that. Thank God, James. Well, the, United, the United States um, in 2022 was obligated to pay a couple of hundred million dollars as assessed dues but we donated an extra three quarters of a billion dollars over and above what we owed. We paid about a quarter of the WHO's budget. Um, currently in our congressional appropriations um, process, all of that money has been removed. Well, we shall see if that stays, the, the process hasn't ended, but the WHO is actually desperate for money. They, they say they need to raise $7 billion. $7 billion, James. Next. James, what do they want the $7 billion for? Now, listen, don't call me stupid. I've been, listen <laughs> I've been listening to you, so I kind of get the... I, I kind of know the answer because I've been listening to you, but some of our listeners might be wondering. $7 billion for what? For vaccination programs in 
in the third world, sanitation. What is it exactly they plan to do with such an enormous amount of money? Well, you know, if it was for sanitation and or, you know, good um, wastewater treatment and, you know, pure water and healthy food, that would be wonderful. But essentially, uh, it appears that their plan, and they're supposed to be talking about this this week, uh, their 14th um, global plan uh, global plan of work uh, is essentially to implement the health-related sustainable development goals. Now, while many of those goals are are you know apparently worthwhile, um, you have to ask how are they going to be able to accomplish that by jabbing poisons into pregnant women and children and the entire population when the results and the side effects actually damage immunity, damage health. Uh, it's a backwards world because it's being driven by what I call the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex. They don't actually want to make people healthier. They're just salespeople for big pharma. And the end result is not that people get healthier. None of their statistics are showing that people are getting healthier. And it's a downward spiral. The more you do the wrong thing to improve your health and continue to believe that by doing the things the pharmaceutical industry recommends, you're going to get healthier. You keep going down and down in a death spiral, which, you know, all along the way they are profiting from. And so they listen to their donors. They don't listen to the people actually in that um, general program of work. They clearly specifically say in the last line of their webpage that they don't want any input, no public comment, from individuals. They only want it from what they call their stakeholders. And basically that means the people who stand to profit from it and who then may turn around and donate to them. It's a vicious cycle of fascism. Isn't it? So there's no public consultation. So you or I don't get the privilege of going online to their website to say, well, no, thank you. This isn't for me. This is crazy. This is staggering stuff, James. So on the one hand, money is obviously a big part of it. You know, the, the, the more unhealthy a population is, the more they'll go to the pharmacy to buy the big pharma over-the-counter products and the more prescriptions they'll take from their doctor. I get you. I totally see that. What about some of the learned men and women I've interviewed in the last three years? Some of them who say things like, Richie, I'm not crazy. I'm a PhD, I'm a doctor. I think there's something more sinister going on here. I think they'd like to off or to get rid a certain number of people. It sounds almost James Bond villain-esque. It sounds almost un unimaginable, really. But very smart people have said it to me, James, that they're beginning to wonder, particularly when governments refuse to suspend the current COVID uh, jab schedules, despite the obvious evidence that they are causing widespread harm. So money definitely, definitely a big part of it. But could it be something a bit more awful than just money? What, what do you think? Well, obviously, they have spoken plans to, you know, basically deal with a lower population in the future. Um, Bill Gates has said very clearly 
that if they do vaccination properly, you know, he'll reduce the population by X percent. Uh, almost 20 years James, ago, do, you mind I if I, do you mind if I interject there? Because um, sure. if I don't, I wouldn't be doing my job. Gates, and I despise the sound and the sight of Bill Gates, but I've got to be fair. When Gates was pressed about the depopulation quote, he said, I didn't mean depopulation. I meant that when you vaccinate people who um, where, where there used to be high infant mortality, when you vaccinate them, babies don't die as often as they do, meaning that families don't procreate as often as they did. That's what he said when he said the world population would naturally reduce because families don't need to have as many children. That's what he says. I'm not saying he's telling the truth, but that would be his response to, you know, when he's accused of promoting depopulation. Go ahead. I I understand the false logic that he attempts to get people to believe when he says that. But if you think about how false that statement is, I understand if a couple um, has a young child who then dies, they may choose to have another child. If that child dies, they may choose to have another child. It's not like, oh, my children are living, so we're just making as many as we can. Okay? What they're actually left with are damaged children. Yeah. And and he doesn't want to talk about that. But really, um, what I was about to say was 20 years ago or so, I wrote a book. I've always given it away. And it's essentially about the fraud in regards to heart disease and cholesterol. It's older than I am. That lie, I was born in 1960. That lie goes back to the 1950s. I wrote a book entitled Your Doctor is a Liar. You can go to yourdoctorisaliar.com and you can download the book for free. Just get the ebook. Um, I have come to believe, it's my way of explaining it, the vast majority of testing, drugs, and jams are really customer acquisition tools. If you can take healthy people, convince them that they need to be tested, and then you say, well, we found some number on a test, you must have a problem, so take this poison or inject this poison, and that will make your number go down. People have fallen for that business model rather than saying, oh, well, if something is out of balance, what is it that I need to change to bring myself back into balance? That doesn't make any money. Your doctor will not necessarily help you identify the cause of your problem. They give you a poison to change the symptoms or they inject a poison to claim that they're going to prevent some scary thing in the future while not giving you full information about the damage that that does by imbalancing your immune system. People have been bamboozled into thinking that more is better. More antibodies in your bloodstream is not necessarily better. What's needed is dynamic equilibrium, ever-changing balance, where your body is not forced to always be making antibodies to a mysterious something that you might come into contact with. That stops your body from dealing with what you're actually dealing with today. And so what we're 
we're dealing with is people need to become more aware that the negotiations going on at the WHO do not include health professionals. They do not include doctors or nurses or other types of health-related practitioners. They are not discussing the mistakes that were made over the last four years. This is a trade agreement that they're trying to put through to exchange going out and finding more pathogens in return for benefits in the in the form of money or by you know either drugs or jabs vaccines in the future yeah back to the future to treat the potential problems not you know these billions of dollars should be going into as you said sanitation good clean water and food heart disease cancer stroke diabetes and in some nations things like tuberculosis or malaria um the money that is being diverted into this quite frankly pandemic profiteering is in the range of tens of billions of dollars the who's entire budget is approximately four billion a year they want like eight times as much money to create an industry that the Indonesian health minister said to the B20 back in November of 2022, they've got this billion dollar fund, this multi-billion dollar World Bank pandemic fund. Go invest. This is a great business opportunity to profit from the next pandemic. That's why they know there's going to be another one because they intend to make it happen so that they can profit from it. And then, and then introduce another global jab program which will be an mrna jab and will inevitably like the one we've just seen or the ones we've just um, seen um cause widespread harm in society james we're we're just about up on time this is fascinating thanks for coming on i'm going to give a big plug again to the to, to the substack it is james um dot no it's james roguski r-o-g-u-s-k-i dot substack dot com james roguski dot substack dot com and if you do slash about so james roguski dot substack dot com forward slash about you'll find links to the books and to the articles james mentioned which are free of charge on the site this is serious work james isn't it this is serious this and i suppose in in the two minutes we have left what what is your aim that you can raise enough awareness about this that people in their own countries do something about it but what do you want them to do do you want them to go after their local and national politicians to say not in our name how how best can people help james well step number 1 is to get informed and if you have any questions i know this sometimes freaks out radio hosts but people are invited to call me my phone number, I'm in the United States, so you have to add on the proper country code or use Signal or Telegram or WhatsApp. Um, my phone number here in California is 310-619-3055. My number is on every article that I've ever written, so you can certainly find it there. If you have any questions, I'll do everything I can to help clarify because it's meant to be confusing the way they're doing this. And step number two is very simple. Share whatever information you feel is valid, 
that you think other people should know about. Because if people are unaware of these secret negotiations, you know, I had to get up at three in the morning to watch their uh, video presentation at four in the morning. Most people have no idea that this is happening. And the mainstream media is never going to make people aware of it. Become aware, share that awareness with others. And, you know, once you understand what's going on, I trust that you'll be able to see that what they're doing is good for them. It's a, it's a redistribution of wealth, but it's not good for us. It's not about our health. So thank you very much for, you know, giving me the opportunity to share this with you and, and your audience. James, it was a real pleasure. Don't be a stranger. You're welcome back anytime. It's bright and early there in thank California. You. So thanks for the work and thanks for your time today. Godspeed to you and stay in touch. Thank you, James. Thank you. Uh, that was James Rogoski. James is a journalist and author. I'm going to give the substack again, jamesrogoski.substack.com. He's all over the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty, the finer details of it, the things that even, I suppose, in the independent media that people are not aware of. Like, I wasn't really aware of how they're selling this to nation-state governments. You know, this benevolent kind of access agenda like, you know, this is a good idea because um, it gives access to pandemic products to countries who were disadvantaged somehow back in 2020, like late 2020, early 2021. It's really good work. Thanks to him for coming on today. And also to uh, Dr. Jane Dunnigan in our one. Uh, thanks to Kev. Hello, Kev who says, from the Gavi website, that's uh, another Bill Gates organisation, immunisation is one of the best boys in global health and has a crucial role in achieving 14 of the 17 sustainable development goals. Immunisation, that's right. And I did see a tweet on, on Twitter, would you believe, Today, it was a video or a clip of Bill Gates, who is in Davos, I believe, and uh, he was talking about vaccinations to come. You know, vaccines will play a big part in all of our lives in the very near future, according to Bill Gates, who last time I looked is not an immunologist, is not a virologist, is not a doctor, is not a PhD. Bill Gates was a huckster, wasn't he? I mean, if people forgotten the antitrust trials involving Bill Gates in the 1980s in the United States. Gates is a con man. I mean, that's not unfair. That's a fact. He is a con man, a scumbag with a capital S. You wouldn't take a bag of sweets from Bill Gates, let alone a virus. Ask people in India about Bill Gates. Ask them in Africa about Bill Gates and his jabs. Yeah. Grace Ann says, Richie, I can't Grace Ann because he's gone. But she asks about the experiments being done now, manipulating pathogens to destroy the brain. Seemingly, they have done these experiments on mice with human receptors and have killed 100% of animals tested. I think it's in China. Uh, thank you, Grace Ann. Isabel says, this is much worse than global population control. It's the biggest scam um, you've ever heard. Um, who elects those who sit on the World Health Organization panels. 
Is it for a certain term, a fixed term of years, or is it for life? Asks Isabel. Finally, will there be an independent organisation in place to monitor these activities of the WHO uh, to control the corruption or the use of funds? No, Isabel is the answer, as far as I can determine. Uh, Hi to Gronje, who says, Good evening, Richie. Waiting for my son to finish his boxing lesson. The only jabs he will ever get, says Gronje. Thank you uh, for that, Gronje. And Seamus came on to say, Could this kind of chemical meddling be the precursor for World War Three, after all, nuclear weapons would be a very messy start to such a conflict. Thanks so much for all of your messages uh, on this subject today. That's it for the programme. Thanks again. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning. Well, I won't be back with you, uh, but the Papers podcast will be available to download sometime before 7.30am UK time tomorrow. And I've got a very interesting programme for you tomorrow. A lawyer who acted on behalf of Dr. Andy Wakefield, will be on the show tomorrow. Don't miss him. He also acted for Dr. Jane Dunnigan. And Paul Craig Roberts will be on the show tomorrow as well. Later in the week, I won't tell you. Um, I'll keep it for a surprise. I've got some excellent guests lined up for you this coming week on The Richie Allen Show. So enjoy the rest of your Monday, wherever you happen to be. Bye.